mean, we're going to read from God's Word uh, this Sunday. We're going to read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. Words that uh, we've probably read every Christmas time that we've been in church, but words that are just incredible. And I pray this morning that we see and hear something new in them. Let's read Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, reading from verse 18 down to verse 25, and that's found on page 807 of the Pew Bible, I think. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. We're thinking this Christmas season, um, I've done a wee Advent sermon series since we've been here every Christmas, and this one is, um, is, is to the world, and we're thinking about last Sunday, peace to the world, and this Sunday morning we're thinking about hope to the world. And I think we would, each one of us would agree that our world is in dire need of hope. Whenever we turn our news on or f to click on Facebook or social media, we continue to see uh, just distress and just despair all around us. Isn't it true that our world at this time in its life needs hope? It's always needed hope, but I think we're in a season of where we really need hope now as a world. And there's two questions that we should ask ourselves when we read the verses that we've read this morning. When we come to the Christmas story, I think there are two pressing questions that should be front and foremost in our minds. And this is what those two questions are. Who is this child that we spend a whole Advent series speaking about and singing about? And then we go on to follow his life and then we place our hope and trust in him. Who is this child and why did he come? If this child is special, why did he come? And I think we have the uh, answers to both those questions in our passage this morning. Emmanuel, God with us, and Jesus he will save his people from their sins. The two names that we read here answer both those questions about who this child is and why he came. His name is Emmanuel, and you will give the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Friends, I pray that God gives us a love for his word. And I pray that you have a hunger to be found in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is such a beautiful, beautiful part of the Bible. 
And, and the more you read your Old Testament, the more you understand the new. The more you read the Old Testament, the more you fall in love and become in awe of, of why Jesus came and what Jesus had to do when he came. And in the Old Testament, there are over 300 prophecies that point to and prophesy about this chosen one, about this Messiah who would come. These prophecies tell us about where he would be born, why he would come, how he would be born. They would speak about his life. They would speak about his death. They would speak about his burial. Over 300 prophecies testify and point to the coming of the Messiah. And on the Alpha course, for those of us who have done it and those of us who are about to do it, you will hear that there are three options presented to us about Jesus. There are three options that we can choose from when it comes to Jesus. And this is what they are. And each one of us here have to decide where we fall into on these options. The first is that Jesus is a liar and he made everything up. And he knew what he was doing and he was making these things up and he was trying to trick and con people. That's the first option that we have when it comes to Jesus. That he's a liar. That he's made it all up. The second option is that Jesus was completely deluded and that he truly believed everything he was saying, but none of it is true. But he believed himself that what he was speaking about was truth, but actually it wasn't true. Or our third option, the one I choose, that what Jesus says is real. That who Jesus said he is and what he did, that it really happened and it's really truth. Three options. Matthew begins his gospel full of really important information. And many of us know this. We, many of us have heard many sermons on Matthew's opening gospel. Uh, but maybe we, let's just be reminded about it. Maybe we've heard it so much that we've, we, we just read over it now. And we actually begin to miss some of the importance of what happens at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. Or maybe we're all new to this. And, and maybe we don't know about the important things that Matthew tells us about uh, at the beginning of his gospel. Firstly, Matthew begins his gospel account in chapter 1 with his genealogy about the family tree of Jesus. And, and you might just think, well, that's just lovely information that's given, but it's really important information because actually it shows us about the legitimacy of who Jesus was. It speaks to the legitimacy of Jesus. God had promised King David in the Old Testament that he would have a descendant who would come, who would establish this kingdom that would know no end. So when we see David's name written in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, we should be thinking, if we know our Old Testament, aha, okay, there's King David's name recorded here. Here's David's name written. There's something important then about this one who they're speaking about and who's about to come because he is part of the line of David, part of the house of David, who were promised all these incredible prophecies about this Messiah, this chosen one who would come, who would establish a kingdom that would know no end. It would never finish. But also, this baby who's born, he's royalty. He's born into a royal family. We spent a while as a church, a while ago, going through the, the, the story of the life of Joseph. And in Joseph's story, we come across this brother, Judah. And God gives Judah this beautiful promise 
in Genesis 49, and he says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. And we see this promise then is, is built upon when it comes to King David, that this one who would come, the, who, the scepter would never depart from his feet, that his kingdom it would never, ever end. And we see Judah's name written in, in this genealogy of Jesus Christ as well. So this family that this baby we read, he's born into is a royal family. And it's full of rich promises that God had given in the Old Testament. And what that did then, it caused this anticipation, this season of waiting. They were waiting and longing for the Messiah to come. They were longing for this king to come who would start, who would inaugurate this wonderful kingdom that they would be part of as God's chosen people. It built up hope in God's people's life. The word hope is defined as to want something to happen or to be true and usually have a good reason to think that it might and in the verses we read this morning, we have how Jesus would come. We were told how Jesus would come. We're told why Jesus would come. And they're both connected with this message of hope that God had given to his people all of those hundreds of years before. We sing about it in the little town of Bethlehem. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. This longing, this hoping and waiting. So who is this baby? Well, he is royalty. He's born into a royal family. And he is, we read in verse 23 of chapter 1, they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's who this baby is. So why did he come? He came because there was a problem. And it happened at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read, the, read these words for you. And maybe you think, well, Genesis 3 is all about soon entering the world and it's not a very merry part of the Bible. But it's a really important point an important part of the Christmas story. Genesis 3, chapters one, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 to 15. Listen to these words. And the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? 
And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. The Lord God said to the servant, serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed above all livestock. And above all the beasts of the field on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and hear this, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Another way to understand it is he shall crush your head. So the problem was sin. Sin entered the world. And because of sin coming, there are three consequences. There are three things that happen when sin entered the world. There are three relationships that are messed up and spoiled because of sin. The first is between man and God. There is now a separation. There's a barrier because of sin between man and God. Then, there's a consequence because of sin between man and fellow man. We argue, we war, there's death that enters the world now. And the third consequence because of sin is between us and creation. The man would have to work hard and he would work and the ground wouldn't then produce fruit for him. There's three consequences to sin. And the first one is that there is a separation now between man and God. All because sin entered the world. Now you might say, well that was Adam that sinned and that's not my fault. But the Bible tells you this morning that because Adam sinned, there is now something that is called original sin. That our default position as humanity now is that we're born with sin. It is in us. It is who we are. We're a sinful people. I've said it before and I'll say it again. You do not have to teach a child to do wrong. They just know how to do it. They know how to lie. You don't have to teach them to do it. How is that? It's because of sin. It's our automatic thing. It's what we do. We are sinful by nature. So each one of us, all humanity, is under the curse of sin. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. It is our default setting. And in theology, what we call this is total depravity. We are sinful by nature. And sin has alienated us from God. He is perfect. He is holy. He is sinless. He is spotless. And friends, by default, we are sinful by nature. And it didn't matter what we did, we could not get rid of that mark by ourselves because of the curse of sin. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, we've just read about that in the Garden of Eden, didn't we? When Adam ate the fruit because God's covenant was with Adam. When Adam ate the fruit, sin entered the world. And death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not count, counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. What was a type? 
of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one Jesus Christ who abounded for many. Sin entered the world all because of one man's mistake. Adam broke his covenant with God and sin came. But friends, praise be to God for that offspring who would come, who would crush the head of the serpent. The free gift of grace that many could abound because of Jesus Christ. So all are marked and under the curse of sin, the wages of sin is death. But friends, the story didn't end there. There is hope to the world. God initiated his plan of redemption. That plan which is first, we catch that first glimpse in Genesis 3 about the serpent's head being crushed. And we see it even built upon with Abraham where he's promised this son who will be a blessing to all nations. We see it when it's given to Judah of the lasting scepter. We see it with King David where his descendant would have this kingdom that would know no end. Over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament continue to build up this hope that although there's a problem, although there's sin, although you're under the curse and the wages of sin, there's hope, friends. There's light coming. People who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. There was hope coming. And then we get to the book of Malachi and we read these words, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Then after the book of Malachi, before we get to the book of Matthew in the New Testament, we have a silence for over 400 years. There's nothing. There's no communication that we get from heaven to earth. They're sitting there waiting and longing in the darkness. They know that sin's here. They know they've got a problem. But they know that God has promised this one who would come. Who would redeem them. Who would reconcile them. Who would come and bring the kingdom of God to earth. And friends, although there was silence. And we call it that silent period. We know that there wasn't really silence. Why? Because God's promises continued to chime and echo through the years. You see, friends, that's the thing about hope. The strength of the hope we hold comes not from the ones who are hoping, but the one we are hoping in. And God had never and has never and will never fail. And suddenly, at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, we read of this young girl called Mary who's betrothed to Joseph and she falls pregnant, we read by the Holy Spirit. And do not miss the importance and the theological significance of the virgin birth. It's why Isaiah 7 prophesies about it over 700 years before it takes place. God's plan was always that the Messiah would come through the virgin birth. It was always needed. It is ne it's a necessity. It is not a point that is up for de debate or discussion. It's a detail as Christians that we have to hold fast to. That Jesus was born through the virgin birth. How did sin enter the world? Well, it's through Adam. God's covenant was broken with Adam. And then sin continued to pass nature by nature through man. 
And every human father conceives their son or daughter with a sinful nature. And that's why it's so important that Jesus didn't have an earthly father. Which means he was born without sin. If Jesus had an earthly father, he would have been born into sin, but he didn't have an earthly father. And that's why we read that Mary was with child by the Holy Spirit. So because of this truth, we have what we call the incarnation. A word we hear a lot about at this time of year, which means that Jesus, who was fully God, took on our human nature and became fully God and fully man in a perfect union, yet without sin. How was Jesus without sin? Because he did not have an earthly father. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Friends, that is so staggering. That God took on flesh. And praise be to God for the virgin birth. Because it meant that Jesus was without sin. So we have this problem of sin. But God has promised a plan. That a virgin would be with child. Why? Well, so that Emmanuel could come. God with us. And we read in verse 21. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This name Jesus is the Greek form of, of Joshua or uh, Yeshua. And in, in Hebrew it means uh, Yahweh is salvation. Friends, that's why Jesus came. He came to save us from our sins. And friends, many have tried and many are still trying to eradicate the topic of sin because it makes us feel uncomfortable. But that's why Jesus came. It was to pay for your sins. He didn't just come for some sort of political liberation. But we see here the principal reason, the center point of the gospel was that so Jesus could bring salvation to his people. The hope of the gospel, the hope that Christ gives to this world is that there is a remedy for the problem of sin. He shall save his people. And the word he is emphatic. He and no one other. There is no other way by which we can be saved other than Jesus. And friends, we close with this thought this morning. And I want you to hear this because I think it's really important. And I've never come across it before. Maybe you think, well, how have you not seen that before, Norman? I already knew that. Bless you, I didn't. A lot of the times, friends, what we try to do is... We often, even though we know it's by faith we're saved, we often try and achieve redemption ourselves. We, th we think it's about us needing to behave better so that God will be pleased with us. We try and do it by works. And we know it's not by works we're saved. It's through faith in Christ alone. And we know that. But still, we, 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 we think in this kind of way that we need to do these things to please God. We need to try and, you know, 
do these things to make him a wee bit more happy with us or, or, or look upon us with a wee bit more fondness. We'll try, and, we'll try and make him like us a wee bit more through our actions. And maybe that's because we've not really understood what Jesus came to save us from. You see, when we read this passage here, what we have is from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. And as soon as we say sins, we think about actions. We think about our behavioral traits that Jesus will come and try and correct. But actually, when the Bible's speaking here, it's not speaking about sins in plural. It's speaking about sin as in our nature. We sin, friends, because we are sinful. We sin because we are sinful. We commit sins because we've talked about it. By default, we are sinners. And this is why we need a saviour. So Jesus came then to die for your sinful nature and make you a new creation. And that is the hope we have in the gospel. That even though we were dead in our sins, we were dead in our sin, we were sinful by nature. That Jesus came to make us a new creation by his grace and by his gospel. And look at the, the importance and the certainty that we have here. He will save. It wasn't a might. It wasn't a maybe. There was certainty around the redemption plan that God gave this world. That it is done. It is finished. Jesus saved, said, I have saved you from your sin if you are my people. You are a new creation. The old has gone. And how would he do that? By giving his life for you as an atoning sacrifice. Friends, he was born to die so that you could know life. And that is the hope of Christmas. That you were dead in your sins, you were in darkness. But Jesus, the light of the world, the remedy, the solution to the problem of your sinful nature, that Jesus came by his amazing grace and said, I will take your place so you can be with me and you can be a new creation. And here's the great truth. And with this we finish. You might think you are here seeking God. Maybe you think you eventually found him. But the beauty of the gospel is. That it's always been God who's been searching for you. He came to find you. He initiated it. It's his plan. The truth of the gospel is. That it was God who was seeking you and found you. And if you're not in Christ this morning, God is seeking you by his spirit. And he's knocking on the door of your heart and saying, I have offered you the hope of Christmas. I have offered you the hope that I've given to this world. That even though you are sinful by nature and you make mistakes, you get things wrong. I love you and I've given my son for you. So that you can be a new creation in Christ. Let's pray. <coughs> Gracious Lord, we thank you for the gospel, Lord. And Father, we've said it before and we'll say it again. We do not highlight the issue of sin to make us feel bad about ourselves, Lord. But we do so to point to the beauty of our Saviour. 
that, Lord, in our wretched state, in our wretched sin, Lord, in our mighty pits and bogs that we were in, Lord, that you reached down by your amazing grace, you've called us to yourself, that, Jesus, you came to save your people from their sins. What a hope you have given this world. That there is no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Lord, that we are new creations in Christ. The old has gone. God, we thank you for the hope that you've given to the world. May we trust it. May we depend upon it. That Jesus, you have come to save us from our sin. For we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.